Welcome back to the program. Father Lewis is here with me. Father Nagel is not able to make it today, so it's just Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor of uh, St. Mary in Spokane Valley. And, and Father's going to lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer. Our scripture passage is the gospel from the Friday after Ash Wednesday. It speaks to fasting. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Lord Jesus Christ, through the graces you have won for us on the cross, and through your passion, which we are particularly mindful of through the season of Lent, we ask you to strengthen us in our commitment to prayer and almsgiving and fasting, that through all this we may be strengthened in soul and spirit and conscience in our ongoing pilgrim's journey toward you. Help us in our conversation and all of our listeners today to enter into the spirit and the desert of Lent, that we may give you glory and praise. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Lewis. Uh, It's great to be with you. So, Father Lewis, today, um, before we get into the quotes, there's always a before we get into the actual outline, there's the (laughs) opening section, and the opening section is always sort of just a check-in. So... We are recording this on the first Friday of the month, in the first Friday of Lent, so double whammy, is what you said. So let's just start there and just say, how's your Lent going? You're on day three. I know we're airing this on Monday, the 7th, but we're on day three right now, so... How's it going so far? Mine is. Uh, I'm going. I'm very happy with how Lent is going so far. I, I was for some reason. Lent is not my favorite liturgical season. I must say. I think it's the most powerful, but it's because of what gives me the power to be able to do the self denial and all that. That I don't look forward to that. I look forward to the fruits of that. <laughs> and um, so you know, but in a special way, it seemed like ah, oh, Lent. You know, and and uh, but you know, when Lent began, I was like, first of okay. all, let me just say this, yeah. Father. That is really like I think that's really I was gonna say the word cool. I think that's really like awesome that you're able to say that out loud because I I'm wondering if the laity ever wonder do priests like ever have a bad Lent or a bad attitude about Lent? And so just for you to say, you know what, not my favorite season. <laughs> I'm diving in. I like the fruits of it, but I don't like the path that it takes to get there. I just think that's very refreshing for, for lay, lay people to be able to hear that a priest, and this is what you live, to say, it's not always easy to do what I'm called to live. Yeah, it's it's not. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to put my best foot forward and put a smile on it. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of one of those one of those priests maybe there's many of us i don't know but you know what you see is what you get so <laughs> there you go folks that's what you get but uh but that doesn't excuse me i don't want to you know jesus told us on ash wednesday when you fast don't look gloomy and in, in all this but but wash your wash your face and you know in other words you know we're still living the joy of the easter people even in lent and um and you know christ is with us always even as we commemorate his suffering you know his passion and death and um and it's for all of that that in I do mean I say I enjoy the fruits of Lent, you know, the the growing and in, in, in my the strength of my spirituality, and my prayer life, and all this, and knowing that there will be fruits helps me to kind of approach Lent with the new attitude and and with a certain joy. And you know, this Lent in particular, for whatever reason, I wasn't especially not really looking forward to, but already in these three days of Lent, like it's just it's been great. I've uh, you know I'm more attentive in prayer than than you know normal. I'm 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 less distracted in prayer. Um, fasting while, while difficult, you know, I feel the hunger pangs, like it's not bogging me down and ruining my day, but I'm just kind of using it. I'm, I'm just approaching it with a whole new attitude of, of offering it up, you know, to quote the trite phrase, but I'm more and more appreciating the the power of what that really means and communicating that to parishioners and homilies and other things. So I kind of feel like, well, I'm saying it, I better practice it too. And I'm, it's been good. That's great. Okay, so a couple of full disclosures here. I uh, went to, I was in Yakima on Ash Wednesday. I got up really early and I went to a mass there early in the morning. And uh, first thing was my daughter, Mary Grace, sent into the group text uh, a song from Spotify. And it's the song that makes me cringe whenever I hear it. And it just, it, I just, it's like, these fingernails on the chalkboard and it's just like no and so she had to post that right in and then i said taking bets as i'm about to go into mass 
what are the odds that we're going to hear this song? And sure enough, the communion hymn was that song. And I just, oh, painful. <laughs> what song am I talking about, Father? Born Again in Ashes? Or is it just it's called, called Ashes. Ashes. It's just yeah. called Ashes. Yeah. We and sang that too. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Please ban that song. I know, it needs to be banned. You know, we rise again from ashes through the good we fail from the good we felt. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just like, I cringe at that Oh, there's so many better songs yeah, to sing, but it's like the only song that you can sing during. I, I don't know what it is. Anyways, okay, obviously I'm wounded there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm triggered and wounded by that song. But Got offered up. <laughs> so the thing was, was that I went to mass knowing that going from mass, I was about to enter into meetings that were my professional career, non-Catholic settings, and I got the big swath of ashes right on my forehead as I'm entering into this day that has these meetings. So do I leave the ashes on? Or as you said, I just heard the gospel. Don't like go out and just like publicly show that you're fasting and make it known. So was I supposed to leave the ashes on or was I supposed to wipe them off? Or is it personal preference? What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I I gather with the spirit of, of what the Lord is saying is, you know, don't be prideful and boastful about your uh, personal piety. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, that's the tension, right? We want to give witness in any way we can to what we're about as Catholic Christians. And just walking around with the ash on the forehead can do wonders without having to say or do much else because it's it's not something you see every day. You see it only once a year or twice a year if you meet a Catholic who doesn't bathe daily. But, uh, I mean, but you don't see that obviously very common. So just that visual, and it's a very unusual, very uh, visual striking um, uh, witness can can do wonders. Who knows what untold wonders. But if I were going around with kind of puffed out chest and, you know, kind of pointing at my head, like, look at me, <laughs> that's defeating the purpose, you yeah. know. So I think there's a tension there, you know. Some people may want to be like, well, you know, take the gospel literally. I got to white box. I don't want to brag that I went to mass, and I think that's fine too. To be honest with you, yesterday I actually completely forgot that I had it on my head in the first place, and I went and did grocery shopping. And I'm kind of used to people like doing a double take because a, I'm larger than most people, so that's striking. And b, I'm a priest, so they see the collar. Now add to that the ashes on my forehead, and they're doing like triple takes. And I just didn't really notice. And I get home and look in the mirror. I'm like, oh, there, there it is. <laughs> you know? So I mean, I just forgot about it, I guess. Yeah. But um, I think you know, it's an interesting tension. But you know, I I've liked leaving it on when I remembered that I had it on as that visual witness, and not to do anything more with it, to just let it speak for itself. And I'm going to go about my day. Yeah, I I like that. I think that that's kind of finding a nice like healthy ground, right? I think that I um, uh, I'm like. I don't have that many opportunities where I have, let's call it tacit permission to be so public about a testimony that I'm a person of faith, that I'm a Catholic, and that impacts how I live my life. And so I, it seems to me that Ash Wednesday is, is maybe really the only day of the year where you have that sense of a tacit, maybe, I mean, maybe Christmas, maybe Easter, right. there's a visibility, but those aren't happening on, well, I guess... Yeah, Easter, I mean, obviously Christmas can happen on weekdays, but it's a holiday, mm-hmm. so you're not at work. So um, so I, 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 you can guess what I did. You I, kept them on. I kept them on, yeah. and so I go walking into the meeting. How long does it take before someone references it? Well, if they're being professionally polite, maybe they didn't say anything at all, but depending on the group, maybe they asked first thing. No, what is that on five your seconds. Five seconds. Five yeah. seconds. I walked in, and literally the person looked at me, greeted me, and said, Tom, you have some dirt on your head. <laughs> Like they wanted Classic. to be kind, yeah. right? They, you've got some dirt on your head, and I said, "Dirt," and I said, "What's today?" And <laughs> and she's like, uh, "Um, um," and the woman next to her knew yeah. it's Wednesday. She said, oh, "Oh, yeah, 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 yeah." It's it's a. I said, "It's Ash Wednesday." Yeah, yeah, okay. And obviously, she was she's not a person of faith, yeah. not obvious, but she, I know her, and mm-hmm. it's she doesn't practice faith, and so it was just sort of like. I'm Catholic, obviously, right? Yeah. Okay, so a couple of other people came in the room, and um, one woman looked at me and went, oh, no. Oh, she forgot. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> she she's, ate bacon. She's Catholic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> she's Catholic, and, she, and I'm like, 
hey there, how are you feeling? And she's like, <laughs> she says, right now I'm hearing the voice of my mother-in-law in my ear. Did you go to mass? It's Ash Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, good, Catholic guilt. I said, there's a Catholic right there, a little Catholic guilt going on. And then the CEO comes in a little later into the meeting. I'm standing up because I'm facilitating this meeting. And she comes in, she looks at me, she says, Tom, you've got some ink on your head. <laughs> and I'm like, Jolene, is it ink? Right. It, and it's, uh, and you know, it was just funny because, uh, and I'm like, I just came from the place where your daughter goes to school. Right. And, Oh, <laughs> and I said, well, you did what she did and referencing, like, I'm being kind to you to help you not be embarrassed. And I said, I said, she felt guilty. She said, I don't feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, it's, uh, it, it's really, really like fascinating yeah. to think that, um, when you are public about your faith, you provoke a reaction. Right? You provoke a reaction, and sometimes that reaction is visible. Sometimes it's um, more secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember one time we uh, we were part of a um, Eucharistic procession, and it, we were processing between two churches, right? And so uh, we left the one church. It was, this is in downtown Tacoma, so lots of people. And we were crossing a bridge um, over the highway to go to the other church, we're going from Holy Rosary to St. Joe's in Tacoma for folks listening on the west side. And, um, you know, it was beautiful. It was a Corpus Christi pr- procession. And um, and this guy in a truck, like, stopped in the road, like, stopped in the middle of the road and shouted out, God hates us all, and peeled out. Wow. Peeled out. Now, what do you make of that, right? Wow. What a... And I, what I said to the kids was, kids, what do you think he just did? He just got himself on a whole bunch of prayer lists. Yeah. Like God, I, I just say, I see the hand of God in that saying, come down that road at the time when the procession is coming, because I'm going to get a whole bunch of prayer warriors to start praying for you. And obviously this guy has been wounded mm-hmm. in some deep way. And this public witness just caused that, it evoked that reaction out of him where, um, you know, to say that, like what is happening in his life to have him say that? Yeah, yeah. What's interesting though is, you know, I wonder if that guy is is Catholic and was wounded in some way by a member of the Catholic Church because he must have recognized that something of a religious nature was going on, of a Christian nature. And if they, if he saw the monstrance, he knew exactly what was in there. Mm-hmm. He said, God hates us all. Well, God is in that monstrance. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, it's, that's awesome. That kind of happened. And then people are praying for him, but, but uh, it's speak, you know, who does that unless you were deeply wounded? Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, and I, I, where I also know this from is that my family um, over the last 20 years, and um, I personally as well, have done a lot of prayer in front of abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that also involves holding up signs, yeah. like especially during like 40 Days for Life campaigns, things like that. And um, how many times have we been praying in front of abortion clinics and you get reactions, mm-hmm. right? Those, it's again, it's quite a dividing line where you have honking and waving and honking and other kinds of gestures. Other kinds of waving, yeah. Right, but there is regularly people who will come into the parking lot, get out of their car, and have some form of confrontation. And let me tell you how many times what starts as a confrontation ends up with tears and a grieving acknowledgement that I have, my life has been touched by abortion. Yeah. Often it's the, mo- it's the, it's the woman yeah. who has done it. Sometimes it's the man who was part of it. Mm-hmm. But what begins as a confrontative, angry outburst, ends in a puddle of tears and prayer and follow-up information about how they can be healed. Now, what do we take from all this? Public witness of our faith? This is like radically important yeah. if we are going to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. Right. And ultimately, that's what Lent's all about, mm-hmm. right? Is it's not only cleansing us and detaching us from the slavery of Egypt, it's preparing and forming us for... Uh, entering the promised land where we had to witness publicly, right? Or like Jesus after the time in the desert, 
starts public ministry. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, amazing stuff there just about, about that whole reality of um, the power and importance of public ministry. But, I mean, Father, you live that. I mean, you wear the clerics uh, uh, dressed like a priest out in public all the time. I bet you have a thousand stories of how people have touched your life. But we can't hear a thousand stories right now (laughs) because we're about to go to a break. But I will give you a chance to tell how about one story that is memorable to you about how your public witness led to conversion. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, and I'm happy to catch Father Jeff Lewis off guard. Uh, But he did get a minute to be able to prepare himself. I just said, Father, here we are talking about public witness. We did it in relationship to Ash Wednesday, but that just opened up a whole, like, bouquet of flowers around the importance of our witness to um, help advance the gospel, help invite people into the kingdom. And um, and so, Father, I'll just stop there. And, you know, you choose to wear your clerics in public. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, my sense is you don't probably just do that out of sense of duty, that there's probably more to it than that. Well, sense of duty for sure, but then other times too, it's like— um... Um, I am a priest, and so you know, I I don't want to hide it. Nest, I mean, I'll wear normal normie clothes, you know, as it were, on uh, occasions. <laughs> is that a thing? Is that, is that what a priest call them? Normie clothes? <laughs> normie clothes and yeah, uh, non clerics. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, it's 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 my wear. It's you know, I tell the kids, you know, the kids at my school, are like, how come you wear that all the time? I said, well, you wear your school uniform because you know it's a sign that you belong to our school, and we're all a family here, and and uh, this is kind of my uniform too. So they kind of get that. But, um, you know, some priests I know, uh, uh, the visual witness of their clerics has elicited a very uh, a vitriolic uh, negative response. Um, I've not experienced that, at least none that I can remember, um, for who knows what reasons. Maybe I've been spared from that. But one that has been a, a beautiful response actually happened in, inside of, like, first two or three weeks of my priesthood. So um, I was ordained on May 26 in uh, 2011. St. Philip Neri. And um, about a week later, me and another guy, we did kind of a Thanksgiving pilgrimage to Rome. And part of that trip was to go to Lourdes and Ars and Assisi and then back to Rome to finish. And we were abroad for three Man, weeks. Yeah, you had a lot of big ones in there. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was a good, it was a really good pilgrimage. And we were going through um, uh, the south of France on our way to Lourdes. And we, um, and we stopped at a, um, uh, you know, kind of like a, a, a pit stop kind of a place, like a truck stop. You know, like we have here to gas up and to get some snacks or whatever, and we're wearing our clerics because this is what we're doing, and um, and no one was really staring at us or giving hostile stares, but but as we were leaving, this young woman, I would guess she was in her twenties, maybe thirty, comes up to us and literally weeping out her eyes and in broken French accent English, thanking us for being priests, thanking us for wearing this, and it really struck us like, well. Wow, no one would do that in America, but that really kind of haunted us. Like how how dead or dying is the church in that part of France that that she goes out of her way to and, and is crying that it could it clearly was impactful for her that that there's still that there are still priests that there is still such a thing as the faith that it's still worth it and that men would actually dare who are priests to wear their priest collar and younger men. Yeah, and young, right. yeah, yeah. So um, that one that has stuck with me that it was uh, powerful us, and we were kind of numbed at that. Like, you know, what did we just what did we just experience? You know, the 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 gratitude of this woman. It was a grace, but also what it implies. And we just kind of went back in our car, and I don't, I'm not sure we really said a word for a couple minutes, and and then we offered. I think we prayed a hail mary for her, and then continue on our way, but. Um, yeah, that's really stands out as what kind of the witness the caller does. That's really powerful. And, and folks, you're listening to this and it's like, you know, you're not going to be dressed like a priest or, or a religious sister. Um, but there are things that you can do to make it plain, um, without being ostentatious that you're a person of faith and that you're a Catholic Christian disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think the most natural one is a crucifix. Yeah. Right. And and again, it doesn't have to be ostentatious, but you can also do it in a way that says this isn't just jewelry. Yeah. Right. It's not like wearing a rosary around the neck. But I know that um, most of my kids, um, I, I don't I'm not exactly sure. I know they all have scapulars mm-hmm. uh, and most of them wear scapulars typically. And so 
that's something that they often get asked about yeah. is the scapular. Yeah. Uh, even if it's hidden, because, you know, it'll sometimes show up, especially in the back, yeah. right? Sometimes it, it crowds up into the front. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is one that will then lead into a conversation. What is that? And what does that mean? And then yeah. everybody wants in on it. Like they yeah. all want to, they all want the heavenly, <laughs> the heaven, like, uh, salvation security, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, another great visual witness doesn't have to be something that you wear, but you know, some of us go out to eat in public restaurants, and so praying over your meal before you before you begin, you know, making the sign of the cross, folding your hands and closing your eyes and saying the prayer, and then going about your meal, not to put on a show, but it's remarkable. I st- I think about one of my favorite paintings is um, by Norman Rockwell, and I I can't remember what it's called, but it shows a mother it's and the her young poker son poker playing dogs, right? Is that that's the, it? Yeah, that's, that's the it. one. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's a mother and a young son, and they're in a public restaurant, and it's crowded, and they're having to, so crowded they have to share a table with two younger guys that are like smoking cigarettes or whatever, back when that was legal to smoke in restaurants, I guess. And they're praying, and it, every other eye in the place in this painting are watching them. Wow. And there's, there's one man in the picture who realizes what is happening. He just stepped in, so he took his hat off, and he's holding it like he's praying too. The young men are kind of looking at him like, what is this? Like they're watching a curiosity. And it's a really interesting painting by Norman Rockwell. And just kind of giving that humble but, but, but confident witness, even over a meal, can do untold things. In fact, one of my parishioners up north, when I was pastor in Chuila, he had told me that when, when he is out and about or when his family are out and about in a restaurant, if they see another family where they prayed over their meal, they call over the waiter and they pay for that, that, that family's dinner. I got a new strategy now. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, that's funny because um, we, that's just our practice. It's like, I don't even really think about it. Of course we'll do that. We're going to pray a blessing over the meal. We're going to bless ourselves. Um, but again, without being ostentatious, but yeah, you're right. That is a, uh, it's worth saying out loud, mm-hmm. you know, make the sign of the cross and pray a blessing over the meal. Um, and I got to tell you, it's like a 50, 50 chance that just as we start that, who's going to show back up the waitress, the waitress. waters, <laughs> right? The waitress is going to show back up and it's, less, and I really, I like that because they then pause, yeah. they respectfully pause and wait. I don't, I can't remember any kind of sneer from a waitress. I mean, maybe they just are a waiter, uh, around that, but I, I do remember like smiles or positive comments around something like that. So yeah. yeah, there are some easy ways of, of, um, of giving witness like that. Yeah. Here's one. When someone gives a counter witness, have you ever confronted that? Like, um, one of the things I did when I was bold and young was when someone would take the Lord's name in vain in public I would match their volume or intensity, and I would say back, is Lord. Uh-huh. So Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. And it, talk about like causing stillness, right? Yeah. I remember I would do that. I was on a softball team with uh, guys I went to high school with. And, you know, we're now just freshmen or sophomores after high school. And it only took a few times of them screaming that out loud when they made an error or something went bad. And my shouting it out loud, that guess what happens? They stop doing it. They stop doing it. Or they say, sorry. Yeah. They say, sorry. So I I just, I'm not hanging around with guys that, you know, I don't really hang around with a lot of people who are taking the Lord's name in vain. So I don't have as many opportunities to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sharing it just to say, to equip folks listening to say, maybe you are with people. Yeah. That that's a, um, that, that, that is, it's blasphemy. It's offensive and it should be offensive to us. Yeah. And how do we gently make it known in a way that says, that's offensive to me, without confronting them so directly to say, you know what, you offend me when you say that, but just to cause the same reaction or communicate the same message without having to be quite so confrontative. Yeah. I've had a couple of um, experiences like that. Um, I was working, you know, before I entered seminary, I was working at a, at a Barnes & Noble and kind of in a manager training position that they had going on at the time. And and, um, and so a friend of mine I was working there with, we were just taking a stack of books back to one particular section. It was a religion section. And um, in one of the books he had was a book on the Blessed Virgin Mary, I guess. And he had, I can't remember what he said, but he had said something really offensive about the Blessed Virgin Mary. I just, and I, I called him out and I said, you know, you know, I can't remember what I said, but I didn't berate him or shout at him. I just let him know that I found that offensive and, and uh, maybe didn't realize at that time I was Catholic. I'm pretty sure he did, but... 
but I think he thought he was being funny and I wasn't going for the joke. And, um, and, and so anyway, we, we went on, but I've done that. And actually the same friend, we had some good conversations, but it was, um, I was working there when Pope Benedict was elected and we were, um, after work, we went out to a, a bar just to get some beers and some chips and salsa or something. And, uh, they were showing a telecast of Pope Benedict having just been elected. And he looks up and just out of the middle of nowhere, he says, uh, boy, I hate that guy. I said, why? He doesn't even know you. And so he started explaining why and, you know, some aspect of his conviction that the, the church must hate him for something he's done or whatever. And and uh, so we had a conversation about it. That became like an hour-long conversation after mm-hmm. that. But but uh, anyway, so I have done that before. Um, I've not done it calling people out with, um, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain, but that's a, that's a good tack. I think I'll take that and try it and see what happens. So Father Lewis and I here are talking, it's on uh, Monday of the first full week of Lent, and um, a bunch of my kiddos went to Mass. Uh, I was out of town, but my family was here, and um, a couple went early in the morning, and they weren't able to make it in the afternoon at St. Mary's, and then the rest went uh, in the afternoon. And um, John Luke was saying how crowded it was. Yeah. Did, was that is that encouraging to you? That is, you know. It, well, in one sense, it's encouraging. But on the other hand, of course, they would turn out for Father Mike's mass. I mean, come on, <laughs> I'm a priest there too, you know. <laughs> but I mean, it, it it was a it was a full, you know. So the morning mass, seven a.m. I would guess we had uh, two hundred people there. Normally, the week the weekday morning mass has. 20. Between twenty and thirty, yeah. you know, sometimes forty, like on first Fridays. This right. had two hundred, more than two hundred. I know we had that because I put out two hundred hosts, and we went through them all. Wow! And then, uh, and maybe there were some kids and so on. And uh, and then right after that, we had the school mass. And during the days of COVID, we've been finding ways to open up more to you know the uh, the public and so on for these things. And and so this was going to be our uh, our excuse to just open up the church for all the parents and grandparents who want to be there. And uh, which we hadn't been doing, you know, for a year or so, year and a half, and uh, and we had, I would guess, three hundred plus because because of all the kids, right. and then you know at least a hundred parents and grandparents, and then to find out that the church was packed that evening, um, and that that church packed seats by fire code something like eight hundred eighty nine. And so if it's packed and we had to bring in more chairs, well, there you go. We had 900 plus. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's and, amazing. And I'd heard that they easily went through 400 hosts, maybe more. And how many folks would go? That's what's interesting is how many folks go. They know they, there's a part of them that's, you know, it's the God-shaped hole in their hearts. They know that only God can fill it. And they may not even be Catholic. In fact, we were getting phone calls all that day. When are the ashes being given or when the ashes being done? Not when is Ash Wednesday Mass, but when are the ashes being given? And so our secretary would say, well, we got our service, you know, our, our mass tonight at 7 p.m. So it's interesting how many of those people must have not even been Catholic or, or maybe not even Christian, but something compels them to want to do this because maybe they see Ash Wednesday as kind of like a chance for a fresh start. Yeah. And the ashes on their forehead is a reminder to them. And um, so maybe we only went through about 400 hosts, but we went through a pile of ashes, I'm sure. So. Yeah. All right, Father, I know what you just did there. You know that we talked about this last week, right? We said, <laughs> what's the meaning? Like, why do people go on Ash Wednesday? So I think what you're saying is, Tom, time to get to these quotes. Oh. Right? <laughs> we have these beautiful Lenten quotes that we intended to get to last week, but we had just wonderful conversation with Father Nagel and you, Father Lewis. So um, we're going to get to some quotes now. Okay, these folks are like, okay, I'm enjoying the conversation, but... We want to hear from the saints. We want to hear saints. from the, the popes about uh, about Lent and how to have a holy Lent. So, Father, I'm going to read the first quote. We do have a couple minutes before our break, so you'll be able to talk for a little bit about this quote. And this quote's from St. Francis of Assisi. He says this, We ought to fast and to abstain from all vice and from all that will lead us into sin, as well as from extravagance and superfluidity. Uh, we should often visit the churches and venerate and reverence all ecclesiastics on account of their office and because they distribute the sacred body and blood of Christ, which they offer in sacrifice, receive themselves, and administer to others. And let everyone know and hold for certain that we cannot be saved except through the sacred words and the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which priests preach, announce, and distribute, and of which they are the sole ministers." And that's uh, from St. Francis of Assisi. And, um, you know, the fasting, you know, he starts right away with fasting, which of the three hallmarks of Lent, um, you know, is maybe uh, 
maybe the toughest for for me because it physically feels painful when you're fasting, right? Because of the hunger. You know, I might miss a couple of dollars when I give alms, but that that's not a physical pain and pretty soon it's forgotten and pray. I'm praying all the time anyway. At least I yeah, hope so. I think so. it's easier to give than to restrain. Right. right? Yeah. To yeah. extend than restrain. But go right. ahead, please. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. It's easier to, to give than to restrain. And, uh, and he just goes right there and then abstain from all vice or avoiding all near occasion of sin. Um, but also to, I like that part about the visiting the churches, venerating, reverencing the ecclesiastics on account of their office because of what they do and all these things being hallmarks of Lent. So, um, Boy, it's a it's a low, it's a full quote. There's lots to unpack there, but I like how he starts with fast, and maybe I'm drawn to that because I've made that kind of like a repeated theme through through these first days of Lent. Like I've I've talked about prayer and almsgiving a little bit, but like fast, and not just from like social media or video games or television, but actually fast from from food. Maybe even fast from a full meal. Feel the physical pangs of the hunger, and the self-imposed penance. Hopefully, will draw us into some. Thoughts and solidarity of those who do not have a choice to go without, and they go without. And that solidarity leads us to pray for them, maybe leads us into works of charity for them. So the fasting leads to almsgiving because I'm feeling hungry. There's people out there who feel it all the time. And, you know, the money I didn't spend on that meal, I need to give to the charity cause that will help feed the poor. So they're connected like that. But I've really challenged myself and others to feel the physical pain of the hunger of the fasting as a way of drawing closer to God and growing in solidarity. That's really powerful, Father. I, um, I, 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 as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, uh, you, you may not remember, but in 2009, Pope Benedict's Lenten message was about fasting. Mm. And it is so profound. It is filled with so many insights. I bring them out um, once a year just to like remind folks about them. But you were starting to say some things that made me think of that. So I work against a break. When we come back, more with Father Lewis and quotes on Lent. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about Lent. We're now finally to the quotes on Lent. Father, we made it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> yes, and there's a it, just launching is a victory. Right? Somewhere just, out there, Father Nagel's applauding us. I, I just know it. <laughs> he's just he's probably shaking his head, and thinking <laughs> it took you it took you how long to get to that first quote? Oh, and by the way, we are uh, we do have a book a book club for Lent, and that book that we're reading is called False Mercy by Chris, Christopher Malloy. I know him, Chris. Uh, Chris Dr. Christopher Malloy. Uh, I, have, I had him on twice in the last uh, few weeks, Father, oh, wow. as a guest. One to talk about his book, but as you can imagine, how many chapters did we get through? Uh, one and a half. Yeah, one and a half is almost exactly <laughs> right. We barely scraped those two chapters. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, we got to cover this book. And then I had him back on to talk about... Um, uh, the concept of movements in the church, which was really a very interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, have you gotten the copy of the book yet? I have, yeah. I'll yeah. be starting it, yeah. Okay, so you're feeling a little guilty. You're dancing for me here, Father, so obviously you haven't started it yet. I That's have good. not, no. You're going to humbly <laughs> acknowledge, you know, confess, bring it out into the open. That's good. It's a thick book. It's yeah. a lot of content, a lot of content. False Mercy, Recent Heresies, Distorting Catholic Truth, published by Sophia Press. And I think we'll probably end up reading, uh, covering it three weeks or four weeks. It's going to take a bit of time to uh, to work our way through it and be ready to talk about it. So um, so we are looking at some quotes today. Let's just, let's push forward. Let's, uh, let's go to St. Teresa of Calcutta. Um, she says this, as Lent is the time for greater love, listen to Jesus's thirst. Repent and believe, Jesus tells us. What are we to repent? Our indifference, our hardness of heart, what are we to believe? Jesus thirsts even now, in your heart and in the poor. He knows your weakness. He wants only your love, wants only the chance to love you. And that's by um, uh, St. Teresa Calcutta, Mother Teresa. She's lovingly known to so many of us. And, you know, I, it, before even looking at who said it, I suspected it was her because listen to Jesus' thirst, which, of course, is... Um, you know that's a key moment in her in her kind of conversion within a conversion, as it were, and, and starting the the missionary charity. Just this this idea that from the cross, Christ cry, uh, cries out, "I thirst." And that phrase she has um, the sisters paint on the wall next to the crucifix in their chapels and all of their 
homes across uh, throughout the world. So it's a powerful message to her, I thirst, and she's always understood that I, as I thirst for souls. And so she's repeating that theme here, I, I, I take it, that she, he's thirsting for souls. Listen to Jesus' thirst and then write into repent and believe. You know, that's the, those are the first words Jesus, is, uh, Jesus says in the, uh, at least in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's one of the two options for administering the ashes on Ash Wednesday. The other being, uh, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. But I like the other one, repent and believe in the gospel, because it's it gets right to the point. And in the mark, Jesus gets right to the point. And, and he thirsts for our souls. And, and we give him our souls, first of all, when we repent, because we've got to turn back to him to see who it is who's calling to us in the first place. That's what that word means. And then to believe in the gospel, I'm turning. I'm turning away from what I had believed in. I need something else to to drive me. I need something else to draw me and to call to me in it. And uh, and if it's not what I was following, the world, and I'm turning now toward Christ, I've repented, then I need something else to, to draw me forward, and that is the gospel of Christ. So believe in the gospel. And all of that because that's, that's the beginnings of our salvation, right? That's the... Uh, uh, that's the beginning of the call, and we follow the call and pursue it, and then, and then by the grace of God, we en- enter into the gates of heaven. So, Jesus is thirsting for us right from those very, very first words in the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, and I, what I noticed was, uh, of course, the Jesus thirst part, but how does she like apply it? Like, where does she see the thread? of repent from what? Mm -hmm. And so I love that idea of repenting and saying, what is it that will allow the thirst of Jesus to have a greater manifestation in my life, right? If you say, um, one of the things I love to say, the word became flesh, right? And so obviously in the Blessed Mother, the, the, uh, the Lord actually is born into the world, but by analogy, the word becomes flesh in our lives as well. And if we take the concept of a scripture, taking such deep root in our lives that our lives begin to like look like that word of God. What a powerful idea, yeah. right? I'm not making that up. That's just yeah. a beautiful concept of discipleship. And so if we took that phrase, that sentence, uh, I thirst in, in scripture, and, and, and she's saying that even now Jesus' thirst lives in us, uh, that would be a beautiful like prayer for Lent to say, Jesus, speak I thirst into my life. Speak your I thirst in my heart. May my life become more a manifestation of I thirst. Yeah. Now, what would that look like? And the and St. Teresa, Mother Teresa is saying, well, you know what it's going to look like? No more indifference. Yeah. No more hardness of heart. If your heart is hard, well, you're not going to thirst for the salvation of souls. If you're indifferent, it means precisely what? You're lacking in care, in love. You want your own comfort rather than their salvation. Yeah. So that is very powerful to me, yeah. is that just sort of taking that sense of um, what does Jesus' thirst look like when it comes close to us at repent? Yeah. And then look what happens when it comes to to believe. He wants only your love, wants only the chance for you to love him? No. For him to love you. For him to love you. Yeah. Talk about a Lent. Um, this actually reminds me, I had on on Ash Wednesday, Sister Miriam Janes Heidland. Um, she has a book of daily Lenten meditations called Restore. And these are short reflections on um, prayer first, then fasting, then almsgiving. But the, the common thread through them all is that through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, Jesus wants to come close to you with his healing love. Yeah. His healing love will reach you through prayer. His healing love will reach you through fasting. His healing love will reach you through almsgiving. And so I, I, it, when I saw that quote from Mother Teresa, he wants only the chance to love you. What a beautiful way of looking at Lent. Yeah. If we would just let down our guard, let ourselves be a little more vulnerable, at least if only with the Lord. But if we have a hardness of heart or indifference, like, you know, Jesus is laboring to love us and yearning to love us and thirst to love us, and we're just kind of like, meh, you know, that's, uh, you know, we're not letting, you know, imagine if your spouse did that, I love you, meh, you know, let me love you. And you're given this kind of cold shoulder response, you know, and, and she's calling us out on that and don't don't do that you know you got to let down your guard and your hardness of heart which is a you know a kind of a you know defensive maneuver i suppose but let jesus um you know heal you and love you yeah well and part of that is give him your time 
right? And give him your attention. Give him your uh, openness, right? Mm-hmm. Give, ask for the grace to be open. Um, I, I had a couple of exposures, I have to admit. Sorry, Father. This huh? kind, of, kind of confession here. Uh, last night we were praying the rosary, and um, uh, it was a little late. And my mind started to wander, and I was leading the decade. And um, I normally have a rosary in my pocket, but I didn't at that point, so I just used my fingers. And so I have just this very simple custom of just using my fingers, tapping Mm -hmm. them to get through the rosary, the decade. I was leading it. My mind got distracted, and what happened? After five, I did the glory be. (laughs) And John Rock's like, whoa, hey, wait, wait, dad, dad, we got a whole bunch of Hail Marys to go. And I'm like, oh. I'm exposed. I'm c- completely exposed. So I was giving the Lord my time, but I wasn't giving him my attention. Yeah. And you were saying, Father, at the beginning of the program, your Lent is going well because you're finding yourself better able to be attentive during prayer. Yeah, I just found myself less distracted in prayer. So I'm giving, yeah, as you said, I'm giving the Lord the time in. I know you've never done what I just admitted doing. So you're much Not holier that I'm going than to I admit. Have, Not that you're ever going to admit in this moment. Okay, so uh, we have uh, um, just over a minute. So I'm going to give you a chance, Father, to talk about this next quote yeah. from Thomas Akempis, the writer of The Imitation of Christ. Nothing, however little soever it be, if it is suffered for God's sake, can pass without merit in the sight of God, nothing, however so little it be, if it is suffered for God's sake, can pass without merit in the sight of God. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, we have an, a, an esteem and a, and a holy reverence for the martyrs who actually suffered torture and death. And we're in very comfortable, you know, the West, very comfortable, United States, very safe, that that's in all likelihood not going to happen. Uh, to us, but that doesn't mean that we can't see ourselves as living living through uh, a little martyrdom, a living martyrdom, where just even like the little inconveniences, we we can offer that up. You know, somehow me making this into an act of prayer contributes to uh, the glory of God for the salvation of souls, and um, and 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 all of it. You know, who knows what value it is? This was just like a. I got stopped at this one particular stoplight. That's a completely minor inconvenience, but making a deliberate uh, sacrifice of that uh, maybe has untold merit that we won't know the side of heaven. And um, I like that quote very much because it's all of us, most of us in this in this part of the world, we can embrace kind of the living martyrdom, the little martyrdom, and not look for the huge things. Well, I've got something more to say. We're up against a break, but I'll just notice one thing right now. It doesn't say nothing. Uh, nothing, however so little the suffering, can pass without merit in the sight of God. Yeah. It's nothing, however so ever, how little, little soever it be, if it's suffered for God's sake, yeah. can pass without merit in the sight of God. When we come back, I want to pick up on something that I read this morning uh, in my prayer time. Welcome back to Sunset. This is Tom Curran, and I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're looking at some quotes um, that have to do with Lent, uh, drawn from saints and other holy writers. Um, Father, just before the uh, the break, we we read a quote from uh, Thomas Akempis, the writer, the author of the Imitation of Christ about suffering for God's sake, and you were mentioning um, offering up whatever little sufferings we have, and how the Lord uses that. Um, this, one of the books that I'm reading this year as part of the theme that the Lord is kind of at work in my life in this year is Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. And this it's a simple, short little book, but it's so profound. And it's actually excerpts from writings of two authors in larger works. So they actually like sliced out of these two authors um, these sections of their other works about the theme of trustful surrender to divine providence. And the interesting thing is, is that the shorter of the two sections is by the second author, who's a saint. The first author is not a saint. The second one is uh, Father, um, Father uh, uh, um, Jean uh, Colombier. Okay. And um, his... His short section in the back is what what I was drawn to today, and I was reading, and it was about this theme. It was about, look, you may have to undergo a tremendous trial, a big trial that brings big suffering, but um, don't just like look at saints and how they like were able to undergo those so gracefully, 
when the Lord will often prepare you for big trials through the daily opportunities of little trials. And it was so human. His, his writing was so accessible, so relatable. And I'm like, wow, it was way better than the first part. The first half of the book is amazing, too, the first two-thirds, which is the other Jesuit author. Um, but this, he had such a human touch, uh, Father Jean-Claude de la Colombière. And um, in it, he was just saying how the Lord is gently saying, look, whatever happens to you, just know that I, who am the author of life and the, the provident God over all things, I'm at work in this. And even if it doesn't feel that way, if it's hard, it's painful, just trust me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring you through it and, and prepare you for even those saintly attitudes of those who are able to like, have that incredible attitude in the biggest sufferings. Yeah. A challenge, I suspect a challenge to that, to being able to grow in that trustful surrender in those little things, is if they, if they persist for a long time, like, you know, like, um, you know, if I have, if I have a headache, you know, and it lasts, you know, part of the day, like, okay, I can offer this up. But if I'm getting like a, a, a series of migraines for whatever reason, probably that I should go get an MRI or something and see if there's something else going on. You know, and it lasts for a week or something like that. I might be tempted to think after day two, like, okay, you know, enough is enough here, and um, and that's where for me anyway, the rubber would hit the road. Like, you know, this is where I really need to invest myself and to really trust that God has got this in hand. You know, maybe uh, well, like COVID, we were all told in the very beginning, just two weeks and it'll pass. You know, and oh, I can handle this for two weeks. And two years later, it's the longest two weeks of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So um, how many folks have, have grown so frustrated at the whole thing or or have lost their faith because their ch- churches are closed or whatever like this is? You know, two weeks, we can do that. In fact, it might be kind of fun. It's kind of a forced vacation. But we've got to, um, when it gets longer than that, and it's still the same thing, but it's the little thing that's the same thing, but it's so elongated, um, for me, that would be where it really would get trust uh, 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 difficult to trust and surrender. Yeah, and and you know, uh, Father uh, uh, Saint Columbier, Saint John Claude Columbier, he um, he points to just like the daily trials of a lot of the folks who are listening. Like things don't go your way, yeah. right? You have these carelessness. He talks about carelessness and these these little accidents that just. And, you know, any mom or dad listening that has a bunch of kids, yeah, every single day is dripping with these opportunities to just say, I just surrender. And and, and that's the powerful thing is he's not saying just give up. No, no, he's like, give over. Yeah. Give over. He says, see God in this, right? It's that in the sight of God, anything that's offered to God, right? It's suffered for God's sake. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you see God in it rather than running to God and saying, hey, how come that happened? Where the heck were you? No, God, God was right in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. And that was the shift. That was that whole shift of attitude. And I think that um, Lent offers a beautiful opportunity for that. Yeah. Okay, Father, we've got another uh, quote from St. John Chrysostom. Wasn't he today's uh, uh, Office of Readings? I think you're right, think yeah, the second reading, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, this was Friday, so those are who follow along, it's the Friday that we're recording this. Okay, and though every day a man lives, uh, every day a man lives, may rightly be a day of repentance, yet is it in these days more becoming, more appropriate to confess our sins, to fast, and to give alms to the poor, since in these days you may wash clean the sins of the whole year. So I mentioned earlier, I think with the first quote of St. Francis of Assisi, uh, we were kind of talking about uh, Ash Wednesday and a lot of maybe non-Catholics and maybe non-Christians going to it to receive the ashes, that maybe they we can see the beginning of Lent as a, a chance to, you know, a, the great holy do-over. And, um, and the, yeah. <laughs> did you just make that up? I did, yeah. You should put you that on a t-shirt. That. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt, yeah. The great and holy Copyright do-over, that. yeah. <laughs> I like that. That is really good. Yeah, and he's kind of speaking to that here. You know, this is where you can look back on your whole year, wash your sins clean, you know, wash, be washed clean of the sins of the whole past year. And and really embrace this as as an opportunity to start again, the, you know, the great do over and uh, and uh, and and to try try again. So yeah, I like it. Every, though every day a man lives rightly, we ought to we ought to repent, we ought to pray, we ought to give alms, but really see Lent as a time to to make that concerted effort to to not just you know give it lip service, but to to do it uh, with the fullness of um, of uh, our attention and our energy and drive as as it deserves. 
and um, and maybe that will propel us to keep kind of living at that high a high level. You know, for example, I just read an article this morning. Um, someone was commenting that in an unobserved but happy trend that he has noticed is that you know a lot of people turn off for Ash Wednesday, and then the next day, not nearly as many, but maybe more than there were the Thursday before or the Tuesday before. And, um, and then, so these people have made it maybe a Lenten promise to, I'm going to make it to weekday mass at least one day each week. That's part of what I'm going to do for Lent. And he has observed over the last couple of years, whoever the writer was, I can't remember who was, but, but even after Lent, that trend continues. Like it has become a new good habit to engage in the Lord in the sacraments. And, um, and so Lent was a way to say goodbye to all the past gunk and to embrace the new start. And part of the embracing the new start was to, you know, you've taken it to the next level, and that's the new, the new norm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and anyway, so I think St. John, anyway, that's kind of what I got out of this quote, is he's, you know, you know, embrace the new norm and make it a good one. I love that. It, it, you actually made me think of St. Augustine. So St. Augustine talks about sort of the journey to a virtuous habit. And he says this, he says, the one who does what is good because it is commanded— The one who does what is good because it is commanded is a slave. The one who does what is good because it is good or because it is God's will is free. And and so he then says the path from slavery to freedom is by doing the good. In other words, Folks, you're listening. You might be doing what is good because it's commanded. You fasted on uh, Ash Wednesday. You're, you're abstaining from meat on Fridays. You're giving up these Lenten observances. And you're just doing it because it's commanded and there's a duty and all of that. But he said, when you do good, even for like not beautifully perfect reasons, it has a good effect on you. It washes over you. It starts to sow something in you. And over time, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. I'm doing what is good because it's right, because it's beautiful, because it's life-giving, and now I'm set free. And so it's that that's the path from slavery to freedom. Yeah. Well, it kind of describes a path from, you know, maybe an imperfect contrition to the perfect contrition. You know, nice. I may be doing it because it's commanded, but then I start to see... What's imperfect contrition, Father? You oh, just use a question. really, you know, you just got... Yeah, well, again, I don't want to have any attrition in our listeners. Did you like that? A <laughs> yeah, theological nice. humor? We'll uh, do a double entendre there. Yeah. But, God, what is imperfect contrition and what's perfect contrition? Sure, yeah. Imperfect contrition is, uh, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed because um, because because of them I'm I, I deserve hell and I've lost heaven so it's because of the punishment that I'm sorry but perfect contrition is I'm sorry for my sins because it has hurt God and so I liken it to like you know with parents you know a little a little child might be sorry for having um, you know done whatever dropped a glass and it broke because oh I'm in trouble and I'm gonna get punished but maybe it was mom's favorite glass or something. It was like maybe a gift at a, at a wedding day or something like that. And so you're really sorry because she's going to be very hurt when she sees that I did this. And so that's the perfect contrition. You're sorry because that, regardless of uh, whatever punishments may come your way. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. this is kind of like that. Like I'm doing these things because I'm commanded, but but if deep down I realize, well, there's fruits here and this gives glory to God and this is contributing to the greater good for the salvation of souls, in addition to being commanded, that's kind of like you know the shift from from free, uh, slavery to freedom, from the imperfect to the perfect, and and you're making a positive, bold step forward. Do you know where this works? It works a lot with men. Mm. Men will do good things like for the sake of others, like on an act of service or sacrifice for their family, and then in the end they realize, wait a minute, I ought to be doing this for my own discipleship, my own path with the Lord. Actually, that reminds me. Just as as we're finishing the program on March nineteenth. Uh, the Feast of St. Joseph, uh, that's Saturday. I'm going to be speaking at St. Joseph uh, in the morning about, guess what? St. Joseph. And um, St. Joseph and how he is a model for living our life of faith. I'll talk more about that uh, tomorrow and just give some updates on that. Because I'd love to see you folks in person uh, at St. Joseph's in Otis Orchards. All right, Father, thank you so much for being with me today. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.